everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things Black History and beyond. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 46 of the History Hotline. My name is Deanna Lynn Cook and I am your host today and as always really. And if you are new here then welcome and thank you for joining us and if you are returning, you've been here for a while, thank you so much for coming back. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as you've enjoyed the other ones. Now, episode 46, we're really chugging along on this podcasting journey. Today we're going to be thinking about immigration acts and laws. You might be thinking, we've been here a long time. Haven't you done an episode like that already? Yes, I have. I have indeed. One of the early episodes I did, I think last November, December, with a fantastic guest, my first ever guest, Hannah Gaffey. We spoke about the immigration, um, current situation when it came to immigration, the Home Secretary, some of the decisions she was making at the time, and how that had an impact on refugees and asylum seekers, their rights in this country at the moment as things stood. Um, And we looked at some charity work that a charity called Mosaic were doing um which is where you know Hannah came from and was was doing that work so you know have a listen back to that episode it won't all be relevant because it was quite a topical current affairs episode but there was a great amount of history in there and I was thinking about what I said in that episode in regards of the history there was like a mini a mini history right at the start and I really wanted to expand on that because I've been thinking about immigration a lot um mostly at work but just generally, I think, the situation in Afghanistan, the situation in Haiti and the US border, um, and just generally the way that, you know, governments police borders, that historically they have literally drawn lines on a map to say you can come here and you can't. And yeah, I'm, I'm always very fascinated by the policies and the laws that go into that. And I personally think um, Britain as a country... I think it relies on migration, its whole history, its whole being, its existence. If British people had not migrated out to go and colonise, you know, the majority of the globe, then our country wouldn't look the way it does. And similarly, you know, in the early, early stages of British history, and I mean like way back before I can even wrap my brain around how things were, white people, you know, the Celtics, um, people of the Roman Empire all of the Vikings, you know, all these people were moving around. Um, They were moving around Europe, they were moving around the world. And we forget when I say, you know, this country is is reliant on migration, it's fabric, it's, you know, threads that sew up the culture of this cloth, of this nation. (laughs) Sorry to get so poetic. I think rely on migration. And you might be thinking, oh, well, yeah, sure, you know, it's a fairly multicultural place in most cities. But I don't necessarily just mean the movement of black and brown people. We often think about migration as that, but white people move around too. But what I've noticed is when we think about migration in this context today and, you know, maybe in a more present narrative, we don't ever think about white people moving around, um, say, from Australia, from Canada, from America, um, we don't think about them like that. We, we have done when it's come to Europe, because in this country we othered people from Eastern Europe. We other Europeans sometimes, especially now following Brexit. Um, but I think it's quite interesting to think of migration as a whole. And a lot of the migration acts, I would say, that we're going to look at today, it's going to be, I think we're looking at around seven. So stay with me. But a lot of them were to curb the movement of people that were different. And by different, I mean different religions, different races, different cultures, different political 
ideologies, the countries they were coming from, maybe they were fleeing communism or something of that nature. And it just seems to me that when it comes to a potential movement of people into this country, based on what Britain have done in the past um, and the links that that said country has with Britain historically or otherwise, people in this country other that group of people and create negative stereotypes as to why they cannot be here, as in in England, and why they cannot survive here and why them being here will have a detrimental effect impact on quote-unquote native british people and i hate that term because it's stupid doesn't make any sense factually inaccurate like who is a native britain when the whole country relies on migration for it to exist anyway not the point we're going to be looking at migration acts today immigration acts and laws starting all the way back in 1905 and can anyone guess the 1905 aliens act think think about the language there aliens who was this for in 1905? And while you think about that, we've got a little word from TK from For the Love of History podcast. So listen in and think about who was targeted by the Aliens Act of 1905. I'm TK, your guide to the past as we uncover the people, events, and little-known facts hidden in the shadows of your old history textbooks. From Empress Baddies to Activist Profiles, Turkey Gods and the History of the Toothbrush, Tattoos, Pompeii Peepees, and everything in between, you can find it all here. There's no telling how far we'll dig or how many historical facts we'll re-examine. No event is too small and no topic is too big because this is For the Love of History. It was, in fact, for Eastern European Jewish people. Again, a different religion, a different type of person. We are othering, again. I'm going to say that a lot today. It's my new favourite word. Word of the week, othering. So, there's a lot of theory on othering, if you if you ever want to read up. Um, yeah, just type in othering. <laughs> You'll find a lot. I'm not going to go into it today, though. It's probably for another episode. But, this first act... One of the very first acts actually to be passed in Britain to control immigration gave the Home Secretary overall responsibility for immigration and nationality in Britain. It also meant that anyone that wanted to migrate to Britain had to be registered. Prior to this, you didn't have to be registered to move, you know. Not to say there was necessarily 100% free movement of people, but if for any reason you needed to move to England or be in England, that could be done. But now we've got a person, you know, Someone in government who is in charge of nationality and immigration. Immigration doesn't scare me so much because I feel like there has to be and probably should be a written record of people moving in and out. But nationality is a different thing, especially when you have Britain, who has numerous colonies, it has numerous countries that it has colonised and is now in charge of all around the globe. Nationality is a very subjective term. And we're going to see how that's been weaponized against black and brown people historically. And this idea of immigration, um, you know, being controlled and it being monitored, it's kind of the start of, of I guess, this country, you know, tracking people um, and the start of them knowing where X person is that might not have been born in this country, um, but why they're here, what are they doing, where have they come from, what's their character profile like, you know? And so, this act is the start of 
What people like to describe as Britain closing the door on people from other countries. The door begins to close. And by the time I get to the end of my timeline, and it's about a 75-year timeline, 76-year timeline, we will see the door close more and more and more and more. It gets swung open at one point, and then gradually it gets closed more and more. It's my analogy of the episode. This door of immigration to Britain closing gradually so that was that a lot of eastern european jewish people were fleeing persecution religious persecution at that and so they came to england a lot of them settled in east london in the mile end area that's why you have those fantastic bagel shops um and you have a rich jewish culture in the east end of london um and that is that history now yes we are talking about white people however their religion would have had them othered, um, and the fact that they were not coming from Britain. And it's very interesting to see how and what the lines are of you being different, because today I think if we saw a white Jewish person, I don't think they would be othered in the same way as they were in 1905, because we have a new and a bigger other, which is black and brown people of different religions. I'd say Muslim people are othered quite a lot in this society. So... There we go. That is 1905. Now, by 1914, that Aliens Act has been restricted. It's called now the Aliens Restriction Act, funnily enough. And it was passed because there were all these Eastern European Jews fleeing, but Britain decided they didn't want the poor ones. They said, we don't want no paupers. We don't want any criminals. And I quote, it was to prevent paupers and criminals from entering within a large wave of Jewish immigration. And this was for fear, as I've said, you know, British people rely on fear to spur them into action sometimes, actually all the time. And by fear, I put it in quote marks because it's not a genuine fear. It is a ridiculous fear, if you ask me. And so, yeah, 1914, um, the act was subsumed. Um, War had started, the First World War. And it was time to target, quote, enemy aliens. Um, and that was then amended in 1919, obviously after um, the First World War. And it was basically just to stop people that were seen as, at the start, paupers and criminals. And then by 1919, it was those, quote unquote, enemy aliens that had fought against them in the war that were now trying to leave the countries that were war-torn or they were fleeing from. Um, you know, there wouldn't have been prisoners of war. If you were a prisoner of war, then you would have come under different circumstances um, and that would have been restricted and, like, regulated in a whole different way. But it was to stop, quote, enemy aliens. Um, and this was, again, a slow closing of that door. I think the uh, Restriction Act of 1914 is particularly insidious, removing paupers. And that's kind of why people always compare the black community and the Jewish community in Britain and... I've heard conversations to this tune of, you know, why haven't black people had the economic success of Jewish people in this country? Well, they didn't allow the poor people in. They didn't allow poor Jewish people in after 1914. So when you think about it, if Jewish people have been in this country from 1905 and then after 1914, only if they were wealthy enough, it's very much more likely that they will be economically successful than people that came, say, from the Caribbean in 1948 onwards 
who came and were pushed into, you know, very low paid and even paid lower than their white counterpart jobs that were manual labor based. Um, they weren't allowed to access higher education. They weren't allowed to access professional jobs, even if they were qualified. And their children were barred from those things, too, in some cases, uh, in with, you know, what we've spoken about with ESN schools, educationally subnormal schools and Caribbean children being disproportionately placed into them. So, you know, it's a really silly comparison. I don't like to hear it. It's just very historically inaccurate and it just fails to look at any of the complexities of different historic migrations um and that's my two cents on that so we're fast forwarding all the way to 1948 and if you don't know what's happened in 1948 where have you been all this time the british nationality act the 20th century continues to see you know migration not just from caribbean people i will let that be known and I'm going to say that again not just from Caribbean people not just black and brown people it was also Irish families you know we've seen that slogan the no uh blacks no Irish no dogs also Jewish people that were fleeing from Nazi Germany some came before World War II some came during some came after and these people Whilst they were othered, you know, you've seen that sign of no Irish. Now, I think, you wouldn't ever split up an Irish person and a, and a British person as... Obviously, they're different people with different backgrounds and different, you know, countries of origin. But for the most part, they are racialized as white. And so there is no othering there anymore, however there was at the time. But when we look back historically and we think about the windrush and we think about the fact that nearly 500 um Jamaican people were on that ship and when we see the windrush docking all the faces you see on that Pathé newsreel are of black people they don't show you the fact that there were polish people on board there were people from south america there were other people that were fleeing countries post war that were white yes they were not british they were from other countries in europe but they were also on that ship and it's very interesting to me how that ship has been used as a tool to talk about this migration and the problems that occurred after it in regards to race relations but what about those polish people how did they settle in you know what was their experience like and are we ignoring them because it means that we can see black people as a bigger problem because of the issues that followed after whilst we ignore the fact that there were other people on that ship as well I'm thinking out loud here. You don't have to agree with me. And I would love for some more debate about some of these historical topics that I'm always speaking about. So, you know, if you don't agree with something, send me a message, comment on one of the posts, tweet me um, at the history HL or on Instagram at the history hotline. I always make a post for every episode. So if you've got any questions, you know, always feel free to put them in the comments, because a lot of the time, you know, I don't say not everything I say is 100% factual. You know, there is obviously interpretation with my bias as a black woman um, and historian, shall we say, that comes along with these episodes. So, yeah, we're thinking about 1948, British Nationality Act, and that allows basically rights of entry and residence in Britain to individuals from, and I quote, existing crown colonies or independent Commonwealth states. This opens Britain's doors to millions of people from all around the world to help rebuild the country after World War II. Now, this is interesting because this is what I was talking about when I said there was one point where Britain, like, flings the door open wide. 
because they need help. This country needed to be rebuilded. The NHS is understaffed. You know, they need manual labourers to build up the country after war, after it has been blitzed by the Germans. And they fling the door wide open. Do you understand that if every single person that legally could move to Britain, moved to Britain, this country would have seen millions of people entering its doors from, like, tens of countries all around the world at that point? That is very interesting to me because, for me, it seems as if, like, Britain must have been so confident that only a certain type of person would come to the country that they were happy with and no no more or no less. And they also knew that if too many started coming, they could just close the door. They could, you know, change the goalposts. And they did that. And we're going to look at that. By 1962, there was a new immigration law. And it just shows that that door and this whole, you know, immigration policy, it's based off of what this society seems to want at any one time or not want anymore now we know the story of the Windrush I don't want to go into it too much I think I talk about it like every other episode at least um but you know that nationality act really did open the doors for that generation of people but also people from Asia um from India namely Pakistan who had had independence in 1947 following partition um and the whole ugly history that's over that side because Britain you know we think about well I think about on this podcast what Britain's done in the Caribbean and Africa and I've not really gone to think and look at Asia very much but if anybody does know that history then you'll know a mess an absolute mess but you know in 1947 India Pakistan have independence um, and they become an independent commonwealth state which means they have British citizenship. And this is a fact to remember because when we fast forward into the 1962 and 68 Acts, these this fact is important. So don't forget it. Now, as I've said, you've got a lot of people moving into this country and even more people having the right to. Now, I don't know why they thought it was a good idea looking back because it seems to me that Britain don't like foreign people, but then decided to fling the door open for all foreign people. It's very interesting to me. But... That is exactly what happened. And, you know, as we know, during the 50s and 60s, there were a lot of Caribbean people moving in, of people from Africa moving, Asia moving, also Irish people. And, you know, fun fact, up until the 1970s, the Irish were actually Britain's largest immigrant community in Britain. It wasn't Caribbean people, it wasn't Asian people, African people, it was Irish people. And they were othered at that time. And I think when we get into, like, the 80s and 90s, this kind of shifts a lot um and they aren't othered so much and don't get me wrong this is not me trying to lump all non non-black or asian people together like lump all white people together and say you know you're all white that's definitely not what i'm saying um in this context um because you know there is definitely history and if we ever get into the history of ireland and britain and their relationship and northern ireland it's yeah it's a lot Um, So that's not me doing that. Please forgive me um, if it's come across that way. But we've got to really paint this picture as an accurate one as possible of migration in this country. And that does include Irish people. So one thing we will note at this juncture in the 50s and 60s and 70s is that, you know, I have numerous episodes on this podcast alone of the anti-immigrant sentiment. And I would be interested in kind of maybe reading into some, if there is any information about kind of clashes between Irish communities and English communities in this country during this period, because 
Well, all I've heard about is clashes between Caribbean people, Indian people, Pakistani people, Asian people more broadly, and um, African people. So we know this was a time of really fraught race relations. And it's interesting because if Irish people are the biggest immigrant group in Britain, why aren't the biggest clashes with them? Um, But as I've mentioned, there's something in common, and that's whiteness. Um, It was the non-white workers, the Caribbean people, um, Indian people, Pakistani people, Bangladeshi people, African people. Sorry to be like just saying countries and then continents, but I I was going to say all the countries in Africa and I thought I can't do that. Um, So, yeah, in the 50s and 60s, they were bearing the brunt um, of Britain's racism and intolerance. They were feeling that more so than any other group. um, And it's been very well documented um, when we think about racial tensions in this country. So we fast forward just a little bit this time, to 1962 in the Commonwealth Immigrants Act. And this is where that anti-immigrant sentiment is growing and growing, and Enoch Powell is making his speeches, and people are, oh, you know, we don't like these black people, these Asian people, we don't want them as our neighbours, they're stealing our jobs, they're taking our wives, they're taking our school places. You know, everybody's up in arms, not everybody literally, but a large voting majority of white English people. And um this led to the commonwealth immigrants act um it meant that all commonwealth passport holders were required to apply for an employment voucher now this is we're looking more at the modern modern system that we have today these idea of you can only come here now if you are going to work and contribute to society um employment vouchers meant that you had to have your employment prospects on that piece of paper that document and you were graded based on you know if you'd finished school, what your uh, qualifications from there were, had you been to a higher education place, had you had further training, had you been to university, do you have a degree, a master's, a doctorate, are you a doctor, do you have specific skills, what will you be doing in this country to make sure you're not a quote-unquote burden on the state and you can contribute? Um, And so, you know, if you weren't unable to get the employment voucher and your grading according to your employment prospects was not good enough, you were not allowed entry into this country. Um, This kind of overshadows that British Nationality Act. And this is where you see a lot of Caribbean people that had moved over as economic migrants to make money and potentially go home start to send for their children because, you know, children obviously aren't going to have economic grading or anything like that. They're children. Um, but it starts, it's kind of the door closing a little bit and people like flying at that door before it closes fully. Um, and parents thinking, you know, I don't want to be stuck here if my child is then stuck back home. Um, and they would have left them with aunties, grandmothers, um, extended family members. And so they would have sent for them. And this is where you start seeing a rise of racial tensions and all this kind of issues in schooling in the Caribbean community in Britain, because you've got this mass movement of children, um, coming over to this country. And so, in addition to this, and more so why this act is passed, um, if we fast forward a little bit, five years down the line to 67, Asians were coming from Uganda. Idi Amin had begun his kind of campaign against Asian people in Uganda and was dispelling them. He was saying, yeah, you've got to go. We don't want you in this country anymore. Um, and we've got to go, and that is just a whole another episode. Um, that is just like a whole that's a whole another podcast. Um, because that yeah, that was a a big big moment in history, and um, a lot of the people that were displaced, a lot of Asian people, um, they would have moved over from like India, by the way, or Pakistan, or 
more broadly the continent and gone to Kenya, Uganda, had big populations of Asian people. Um, and then they, these governments were dispelling them or putting a lot of pressure on them. And there was a lot of violence towards them that was kind of, you know, forcibly suggesting to them and encouraging them that they should leave. So a lot of them migrated to Britain. Um, and because of the fact that they had come from, as Asians, they had come from, say, India, Pakistan. And in 1947, um, those countries had become independent Commonwealth states, which meant under that British Nationality Act, they had British nationality. And obviously, um, well, not obviously, actually, um, you know, Britain was the place that they decided to go to. I think it is a bit obvious, actually, because they had left um, Asia for a reason. So they weren't exactly going to go back there. They were also quite successful, um, a lot of the Asian people that left at that time. Um, they had businesses. Um, they were kind of big in trade and that kind of thing. So they would have, you know, passed any requirements um, for, like, employment prospects and all that stuff. Or, like, you know, being able to financially support yourself in this country. Um, if we think about that 1914 um, Aliens Restriction Act that said they didn't want paupers, these sentiments carry on. Even though these acts are like overthrown by a bigger, more encompassing act, the sentiment is still there. We don't want a certain type of person. We don't want paupers. We don't want criminals. Now we don't want people that can't support themselves in this country. So, 1968, we have another Commonwealth Immigration Act, and this is Enoch Powell's Rivers of Blood speech comes just before this and the support it receives I think shows the government both of them Labour and Conservative we're not doing one party better than the other today um, it really suggested how big of an issue immigration was um, because in the 1964 election Labour actually um, lost a lot of seats on the issue of immigration they didn't realise how badly um, English people did not want black neighbours, Asian neighbours, and were very fearful of this wave of uh, Asians that were about to arrive um, from Uganda. And also Kenya. Kenya was impacted as well. Um, a little bit more significantly in the 80s, 82, um, but also at this point as well in the 60s and 70s. So, 68, Commonwealth Immigration Act, um, in order to squell, to quash the... Um, migrants that were coming from uh africa from east africa kenya uganda and so this door as you know it's closing a little bit more um however i will say um uganda there was a uganda resettlement board and it allowed twenty-seven thousand asians to resettle in britain um because after idi amin expelled them uh in the 70s um and you know the british government were like panicking because they knew that the people didn't want any more immigrants um, and also they knew that they really couldn't leave British citizens um, out there to potentially die um, and so they had to make provisions for 27,000 Asians to resettle. Um, there was a big controversy over it and the British um, government had to commission this like special uh, reserve resettlement board so that did happen, um, you know, in the 70s, a few years after that 1968 Commonwealth Immigration Act. You can see that immigration is just a huge issue for this country. Um, and it becomes clear as well, as we move to the end of the 60s and early 70s, that these people that have moved here from West Africa, East Africa as Asians or as African people uh, from the Caribbean, they're not going home. This idea that they were here for five years to get a job, get some money and go back home 
it wasn't happening now. They've been here since 1948 and the 50s in bulk. So this is a good, you know, 20 years um, of migration. The numbers are growing and people are not going home. They are forming communities, you know, they are creating families, they are marrying, they are buying houses, they are settling, they are not leaving. Um, and this, again, just puts panic into the hearts of English people who are like, we're losing our country. Um, and so by 1971, we have another Immigration Act. So in the space of like 62 to 71, that's like nine years, three different acts to curb and quell immigration in different ways. And this um, 1971 Immigration Act actually replaces the employment vouchers with work permits and actually allows only temporary residents. So instead of saying to someone, yep, you know, you've passed the graded, we've graded your employment prospects, fantastic, you have now indefinite leave. They're saying, okay, yeah, you've passed, uh, you've got a job, you're going to be working it for two years and then you're going to need to reapply um, after that. If you've got another job, you'll be able to stay. So it's really, really closing that door on certain people. You know, you cannot come here now unless you know what you're going to do. And to be fair, unless you can see career trajectory, um, trajectory, sorry, um, in the job or the field or the career you're choosing, there's a chance you might get sent back home after a while. So I think you have to be a bit smarter at this point if you're trying to move to this country. And... As I've said, um, the door is kind of closing a little bit more. However, another thing which I think is a little bit insidious, it also starts to make provisions for voluntary repatriation, i.e. sending people back home, i.e. if you've decided, right, you've had enough, we'll send you back home for free. We'll even pay for your passage on a boat, ship or plane. Um, and I think, yeah, it's it slipped in in most, um, like, commentary on this uh, act but I think it's quite telling at this point that Britain were not only trying to close the door they were actually trying to kick people out before they fully closed it shut they were trying to make a one-way um, exit only sign on that door of, of the country and so you know that act was passed I don't really think it did much to curb immigration um, you know the numbers kept growing maybe it slowed them but um, the populations of non-white people in this country grew for different reasons uh, as well, not just, you know, that Windrush generation still coming, but people fleeing different um, wars in different parts of the world, people coming for better economic opportunities in different parts of the world, the EU bringing a big wave of migration in the late 90s and 2000s and late even the late 2000s up to now, and obviously Brexit obviously closed that door, um, can you see it continues um i didn't add brexit to my notes but maybe i should have i stopped in 1981 which is the last act we're going to look at but maybe i should have thought about brexit so the new nationality act of 1981 which abolished the 1948 definition of british citizenship and replaced it with three categories number one british citizenship number two citizenship of british dependent territories and number three british overseas citizenship it moved the automatic right of children born in the UK to be considered British citizens unless one parent was a citizen or settled. So there we go. Um, 1981, the new Nationality Act, which is, I think, the act that is in like law now. Um, there have obviously been new acts and amendments, but nothing, I think, to the extent of what we saw from 1905 to 1981. Um, that is all we have time for today. Uh, a whistle-stop tour throughout a few immigration acts, laws, policies and the histories behind 
some of those acts. Don't get me wrong, that was very brief. I could have gone into, I could have done an episode on each one of them, but I wanted to kind of give an overarching uh, story of immigration in this country. Um, and when you hear, you know, ministers, MPs, especially that Home Secretary of ours, speaking about immigration and people coming to this country, listen to the language, listen to the terms used, listen to the types of people they're speaking about and how they speak about them. You know, you only have to turn to certain newspapers to look at some of the language politicians have used about different immigrant groups historically and in more recent times. Um, and I won't quote it on here because some of it's just absolutely disgusting and offensive. But yeah, just, you know, be aware of the language being used and be aware of this metaphorical door that's slowly being closed and think about why it's being closed um, and on who. So that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week ahead of you. And I can't wait to see you next episode or not see you because it's a podcast. I don't actually see you, but I feel your presence. (laughs) Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to the History Hotline. If you've enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend to tell a friend. To continue the conversation about black history, head over to our social media platforms at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter.